This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And man, last week was a crazy week for Militantly Mixed. And also, I'm in a really good mood right now because I just came off of a really good recording for a future episode of Militantly Mixed. So I'm kind of riding a mixed race high right now. I'm just feeling really good to be mixed. I'm wearing a mixed me t-shirt. I talked to someone who was mixed who I really enjoyed talking with. And I don't know, I just want that to translate that today is a really good mixed day. But uh, uh, last week, when we debuted our episode 12, White Passing, Am I Even Allowed to Claim Mixed Race, with my guest Gretchen Erickson, that episode, it it quickly became our highest downloaded and uh, fastest downloaded episode to date. uh, Within two days, it bypassed uh, what was previously our highest downloaded episode, which happened to be the first episode because that's been out for three months and people have consistently continued to download it throughout. Uh, the last three months, but it shot past that in two days. And it tells me one of two things. One, either Gretchen knows a whole bunch of people and they're super supportive and everybody she knows downloaded the episode and listened to the episode, um, which would be nice. And I hope that is kind of the case. And I hope some of you stick around uh, for future episodes. Or two, that white passing and white presenting is a topic of mixedness that we need to talk about. Um, I, all I can tell you is that it's probably a combination of those two things. I really do hope that it is about the topic itself for the most part, though, because within the first couple hours of that next morning, having Having, uh, having uploaded the episode, I had already started getting emails from people saying, oh my gosh, that was my story. I can connect directly to that. I'm so glad you covered this. Um, I've been afraid to you know, send you a message before, but now that I've heard this story, I'm ready to talk, stuff like that. So clearly white passing and white presenting is a topic of mixedness that we need to get into. Obviously it's underserved and under, uh, under visible uh, as many of us mixed race people feel, but also compound that with the fact that you look just white and therefore you couldn't possibly have any other culture or ethnic background in there. Um, and so you're really invisible as a mixed race person and invisible as a person of color too. Um, in that case, you know, that your that the cultural heritage and all that stuff gets ignored, compound that to your already mixed race identity crisis issues that you may be having or have had in the past. Obviously, it's something we need to talk about. And I'm happy to get into it more. It's certainly something I need to learn more about as sort of this self-appointed mixed race representative. Since I have a podcast, I want to know more about it. So yeah, if you have this situation and this episode touched you, please feel free to hit me up and share your story with the world. I think um, there. I think that I'm very grateful to Gretchen for stepping out and sharing her story because when we originally connected, she wasn't quite accepting of herself as mixed race in the uh, in the beginning. But once we got into it a little bit more, she was really like, "Yeah, I am mixed. I get to I get to claim that." And I'm glad that uh, we got to do that together on the on the podcast and and in our uh, subsequent conversations that we've had um uh, yeah it just Gretchen if you are listening I'm very grateful to everything that you've done for the show um because it really opened up an area that I didn't know 
how badly it was needed. I knew it was there, but I didn't know how badly it was needed. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that you shared that with me. And honestly, that was a topic of conversation I wanted to have from even before we started recording. I was already reaching out online trying to find people that had the white passing or white presenting situation. And because I wanted to get into it because it's not something that I can relate to. Uh, my mom is is sort of white presenting. She she would not be happy to to hear that. But um, she, Japanese and white, she does look more white, especially when she dyes her hair uh, blonde and stuff like that. So it's something I've always been curious about. It's just not an experience that I've had myself. And so I wanted to talk to someone and I am grateful to Gresham for being the first one to step out in that conversation. It really means a lot. Let's segue that into at the time I uploaded the episode last week, I did not know this information. And so I wasn't able to announce it. But uh, last week, we got our fourth Patreon sponsor. And with that uh, sponsorship, we now have the ability to cover our monthly hosting fees for the podcast on Libsyn. So thank you to all of our continued sponsors. And for any future sponsors that are coming, it is making a difference. I personally am doing this full time right now, the podcasting and trying to establish my own business. But I I I am going to have to find a job soon um, because my savings is running out. So I'm going to have to have a full-time job eventually um, until I can bring this back to my main hustle. So knowing that, that at least the hosting fees are covered and all I have to do is continue to keep up the interviews and keep up the editing myself, just having that stress lifted means a tremendous amount. It may not seem like a lot to some people, but to me, it really, really is. Both in, in knowing that the show is being supported by people who feel like this is needed or they're getting something out of it, but also just supporting a person of color, a woman of color, an LGBT woman out here trying to do something. I really do feel that support and I'm very grateful to you uh, for doing it. So if um, if you're listening and you do also want to contribute to the show, we have two options of doing that. You can join us on a monthly sponsorship through Patreon as low as $1 a month to as high as whatever you want. There are different reward levels depending on where you're you're able to commit to a sponsorship. You can, uh, you know, you can connect with me too to ask questions or whatever and, and I'll share more details uh, but you'll have access to early or exclusive content. There'll be t-shirts and pins and, you know, swag, things like that. If you don't want to commit or can't commit to a monthly donation but would still like to contribute to the show, we also have PayPal and and I don't have anything published about the reward levels for that, but I'll, I'll get that up on my website soon. Uh, but anyways, if you do want to drop something, I'll at least, you know, get something comparable to the level that you donate. Uh, on Patreon, you have to sponsor for at least two months before the gifts kick in, uh, but the other content and things like that can come through. Sorry about that. I actually had to pause for a second because someone was at my door. Okay. Uh, so yes, if you wish to sponsor us, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymix or paypal.me slash militantlymix. Uh, depending on whether or not you want to sponsor us on a monthly basis or a one-time only basis. Both are extremely helpful. And I can tell you just personally, since I'm the one doing this show, every little bit does help. Um, it is a very significant to be able to uh, cover our show with fan support. So thank you very much to our sponsors. Um, and don't forget to get at us on all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. And you can email me, Charmaine at MilitantlyMixed.com. And that's S as in Sam, H-A-R-M. 
M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E. And we also have a phone number now. So if you want to drop us a line or a story or something about mixedness, but you don't necessarily want to come on the show for a full interview, you can uh, drop us a voicemail at 323-545-6001. And just tell us a little story about your mixed ass life and we'll get it on the show. Um, actually, any of the uh, main hustle media shows, you can you can put a comment in and we'll just route it to the show that it uh, connects to. So just a new thing to, to do. We have a few announcements coming down the pipe, which I think I'll save for next week or the week after uh, when we tighten up some details. But we got a few new podcasts on our way on the network, and I'm excited to share those with y'all too. Um, but we're already crossing into about eight minutes, so I better introduce this week's episode. Uh, so this guest, Coralie Clanch, is someone that I met at a podcasting class here in Los Angeles back in May. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a pitch for this class, even though it's not related to the, this show in particular. But we took this class uh, from a woman named Sharon Houston. Shout out to Sharon Houston. She has a podcast called So You Think You Want to Work in TV, which is sort of about people who work behind the camera in reality TV. Uh, that's how I connected with her through a, a shared group on Facebook. And she has offered this class. She primarily focuses it towards women of color, or women or LGBT women, things like that. Um, although I think she does make exceptions for certain circumstances. But the idea is that, you know, women are an underserved part of podcasting, people of color and LGBT are an underserved part of podcasting. And so she wants to focus her training in that area so that we can get our podcast starting started. And it was after taking her class, I had already had some of the groundwork laid, but it was after taking her class that I just basically within a week, I was already recording interviews. She will talk about how to do the podcast pretty much for cheap or free by just using your laptop and your computer, uh, all the way to what kind of equipment to get when you're starting out. She shows, she does a, a tutorial on editing from the free softwares that you can get online or the paid softwares. She talks about promoting your show and sponsorship and everything like that. So by the time you finish her class, which I think is about three hours or something in a day, uh, you can walk away and that night start recording your podcast. She, she makes it really clear and she's a great resource for those of us women that are out there trying to podcast. I've actually reached out to her directly several times since starting my show and she's been helpful. And, you know, she's just a new person in my life because of this thing and she helped contribute to me getting my show off. So I do want to thank Sharon Houston for that. But also it was at this class with Sharon Houston Houston that I met uh, our guest today, Coralie Clanch. So this this class that we were both in was about 12 or 15 women. We were all sitting there with our different ideas that we wanted to do our podcast about. And she and I sort of clocked each other from from the room when she when she entered and, uh, you know, noting that we were both mixed. And then later on in the evening, when we talked about what our topics were going to be, and I mentioned my mixed race podcast, we connected further. And so she's one of my early interviews. This is actually one that we recorded back in June. Um, again, before I bought all my equipment and stuff like that, it was, you know, being triggered off of you know, uh, Sharon saying, just get your podcast out there. And and we talked we, we talked about it. We talk about some some stuff. We talk about like the white privilege of people putting their hands on us just to move us out of their way. Uh, the inappropriate questions that people ask you in the workplace or in, in the world in general. People asking POC moms of mixed race kids if they are their nannies. Just a whole bunch of stuff. We get into it. We get into it. And I was really grateful to have had a chance to talk to her after seeing her in that class because you know whenever a mixed person sees another mixed person across the room, no matter what their combination is, it's just an instant joining of like, oh, we're kind of the same and we're sort of the same color. <laughs> so it was really great to connect with her. And she's actually only one of the two or three people that I've I've met in person that I've 
interviewed for the show. So yeah, I, I won't belabor it too much longer. We'll go ahead and get into the episode. If you're interested in that podcast, though, that I mentioned, you can get at me on social media and I'll connect you to Sharon. She is a comedian here in Los Angeles, which I have seen her sh- her performances here at the uh, Hollywood Improv before. She's really funny. And um, like I said, just a really good resource for people that are out there trying to do podcasting. So um, yeah, if you're interested, get at me and I will connect you to. But without further ado, let's go ahead and cross over to my uh, discussion with Coralie Clutch. Today, I am joined by Coralie Clanch. Did I say it right this time? <laughs> you got it. That was Excellent. it. <laughs> uh, you are only the second person that I've interviewed so far that I have actually met in person. As so That's far, exciting. everybody else I have I've connected through online. So, so it is uh, a little bit different when you actually get to talk to someone you kind of know. Uh, we met at a at a sort of podcast resources class thing and um, connected on being the two exotic in the yes. <laughs> in the bunch um, both of us have had to deal with being called exotic or interesting looking or where are you from questions all the time so sort of bonded on that uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro about yourself and your ethnic background and then we can get into it cool so I'm Coralie I am an editor out here in LA and that's what I moved here for. But I was born and raised in Chicago. Love Chicago forever. Um, I have a white father and a black mother, but also my mother is French. So I grew up bilingual and around a lot of French people living in Chicago. Um, I went to a French school from pre-K to 12th grade. And that was super interesting because a lot of the kids moved around a lot because their parents traveled for work. But I was just a kid from Chicago. So I was always there. Yeah, that's, that seems interesting. Was the, Did you spend time in the French school where you primarily spoke French or was it sort of a split between French and English? Everything was in French. We, except for English class, we had like one hour a day that was in English and everything else was in French. So like all my math classes were in French. History was in French. It was actually really interesting because we had history. We had some history that was taught in our English class. And so learning about the same period of time from different perspectives was super interesting. Like World War II sounds completely different from the French perspective versus the American perspective. Oh, that would have been that would have been real neat. Um, Do you do you feel like you have to. So since you are naturally bilingual, do you feel like you have to translate certain things that you did learn in French into English when you're thinking about it as an American kid and back and forth? Do you have to do that? that? Yeah, there's like a lot of things that will only come to me in one language because like I only ever thought about it in a certain context. Right. Or what was really hard for me in college because that was the first time all my classes were in English was actually math class because the words are different and just the way you lay out your work on the paper is slightly 
completely different. So I was really confused. I, like, I thought I was good at this. No, I'm not. That's funny. The, yeah, I, so I have a little bit of that. Like, I'm not, I'm not truly bilingual or anything like that. But from what Japanese I was exposed to growing up, there are some things I learned in Japanese before I learned it in English. So even at 40 years old, I struggle with left and right. Mm. Um, like in Japanese, when if you say it in Japanese, I know which direction is left and which direction is right. But for some reason in English, I, it takes me a second. I almost always turn the wrong way. If someone tells me to turn left, I, I tend to turn right or or have to pause and think about it. Um, it just It's just one of the ones that I notice the most that still, like I still have to kind of translate it. But it's not that many things. It's just these random, uh, you know, random little language things. Did, right. So transitioning from going almost exclusively to, to school in French to going exclusively in English, the, uh, were you, did you suffer a little bit? Like in grade wise, were you, were you struggling to, to, to get caught up in terms of the translation of it? Um, there was definitely some, how do I say this? Yes. My grades definitely went down, but I think it was more of a result of, I went to a really difficult college and I didn't really feel like I was behind, um, I didn't feel like my English was behind in any way. I just felt like, oh, these are really smart kids that put a lot of effort into school and I don't want to put that much effort into it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So let's talk a little bit about your about your mom. So I think when we talked about it before, was is your mom fairly dark skinned? Yes. And so compared to you, who to me look sort of as you expect a lot of biracial people, black and white biracial people to look, you know, lighter skin, but still obvious that there's at least more than one race going on. When you're with your mom as a little girl, how are people re- responding to you? So as um when i was a kid i definitely looked more like my dad and people never assumed that i was related to my mom so if she'd pick me up from dance class people would be like oh why do you talk to your babysitter in french and i was like you mean my mom <laughs> um and then i actually i remember my mom telling me one time she brought me to her work and one of her bosses who was always just an asshole to her he stops her in the hallway and he's like is that your kid she's like yes this is mine and he's like oh she's really pretty and he yeah. she's like um thank you like i thought i was pretty too so that's why my kid's pretty but <laughs> <laughs> that was like a well actually moment um from him this is i just hate <laughs> like you can't help yeah. that sensitivity when even when you hear it happening to somebody else you're just like ah if you go back to these things so um that is is one of those phenomenons that seem to pop up pretty frequently with people that I talk to, too, is in particular, if their mother is the non-white parent um, or, depending on the racial mix, the darker of the two parents that people right. tend to think of the mom as the babysitter or the nanny. And it doesn't right. even occur to them that you're their child, which is different for me because my father, both of my parents are biracial, but my father's black and white. And my mom is Japanese and white. And I look just like my dad. So even though we had different skin colors nobody ever questioned that I was his kid um and I think because my angry face looks like my mom's face <laughs> they don't question that necessarily but when my mom used to dye her hair blonde people would go I didn't like Charmaine I didn't realize you were white you know 
um, <laughs> and because she looked more white when she dyed her hair blonde. So I think that's a weird thing. I another one of my friends who's uh, Guyanan and uh, like Indian Guyanan, and her children are half white. She looks at her kids and sees little white kids. Everybody else looks at her kids and sees light skin. Indian kids and she walks around already feeling like their nanny like she's prepared for people to already think that they're her nanny but I just see like somebody who's obviously their parent so I don't know I don't know what that concept is why it is with the, when the mother is the darker skin that that's where people go yeah I never thought about the perspective of like being on guard for defending like your life <laughs> right like you're just you're just existing and especially when you're a kid you don't it probably takes you a minute to pick up on the fact that people are treating your mother like this uh, or, or that you or that she should even have to answer that question of people right um, definitely nowadays you're seeing it pop up in the media more like you know the the father who's ro- uh, walking his biracial child around a park I think in DC recently and he's dark skinned and his kid is clearly mixed but the white lady who saw him thought she had kidnapped a white kid um, <laughs> so they call the cops and this whole this whole deal and you think about in public how do you prove your kid is your kid right if you don't look the same and this wasn't an idea that i really thought of until recently like if the climate had been different at the time that you're growing up would your mom had been not not be would it got would it have gone farther than your mom just being asked if if you were her kid versus prove to me somehow that this child is your child how did your mom respond to things like that for the most part i just kind of remember her she she's very sassy and she would just be like of course this is my kid and then just kind of walk away or be like don't be stupid <laughs> she's like I'm, I'm just not gonna have this argument with you right now like that was kind of her attitude it was like you accept this or you don't and that's not really my problem right now right did you learn as a child depending on how your mom or your dad responded to people who did address their interracial marriage or your uh, biracialness um, did did you feel like you picked up on ways to behave when people addressed you as an other? Um, I think I definitely made my personality kind of um, mild, maybe is like the way to put it. I'd always, mm-hmm. I would not want to draw attention to myself because people just naturally have so many invasive questions that I'd be like, yeah. okay, let me not be noticed. Let's like try to avoid anybody asking me anything <laughs> because whether I want it or not, someone's going to come up to me and be like, where are you from? Or <laughs> Did you, in school, were there other mixed kids in your French school or were they all pretty much primarily Caucasian French, uh, Caucasian French from France and living here in the state? Yeah, it was. there was barely any POC at my school. I think there was one black girl in my grade until third grade and then maybe one or two other mixed kids and but otherwise all Caucasian French. I think there was uh, a couple African kindergarten teachers and yeah that was it. (laughs) Uh, So so you so what did you think about yourself when you were younger like as you understood that your dad was different than your mom and people you had some experiences maybe as a child where it would be sort of pointed out to you uh, how did you kind of reconcile who you were compared to your kids whose parents looked just like them I I always sensed that I was different from the groups I was hanging out with and I I feel like as a kid I couldn't really understand why because it's still even though I knew my parents were like from very 
different places. It didn't click to me just yet what race was. And so I was like, but why are people always asking me these questions? And, you know, why do people question whether or not I'm related to my mother? And it just as a kid, I remember being like, I know I'm different, but I don't know why. And it's not till it's not till I understood what racism was that I understood like, oh, my parents are perceived differently by society. What was your first exposure to racism? Um, I don't I can't remember like very specifically, but I think I just would notice more and more if my mom was having a problem at the grocery store, like she would always end up in this huge like in a heated argument with someone at the register, with an employee, whereas if the same thing happened with my dad, it was never such an issue. It was kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we'll fix that right away. Mm. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. Like they came here with the same problem. (laughs) Right. So more of a subtle kind of microaggression version of it, or at least maybe probably more aggressive, aggressive with your mom. But in terms of its impact on you, it was more of a microaggressive impact than a direct. Yes. And I remember once being at Whole Foods with my whole family. It was my mom, my dad and my little brother. And we I think we'd just come from the movies and then we were like, oh, we're out of bread. Let's just stop here and grab some. And my mom got into the line first and then my dad came just a little bit later and like added something to on the register. But at first the woman was staring at my mom and my brother and I and she was like had this like look on her face like she was a little bit weirded out and then my dad came over and she was like very confused and he was like oh this is I'm with them and she was like oh okay and just like didn't trust the situation and it was like this is none of your business (laughs) yeah that gosh I mean that is the weird kind of stuff about being in public as a whole family unit that people I don't understand why people are baffled by this you know, it's, I mean, I'm not yeah, sure how old you are, but like in my in my time, I guess if you if you really think about historically, where when I'm when I'm born, uh, leg- it would it had only been legal to marry um, interracially for ten years. Like the Loving versus Virginia was in '67. I was born in '77, so. It- I guess my parents are growing up in a time where mostly throughout their life it was legal, but it may not have been very prominent. So it might have been a little more unusual. But but once you start getting into the mid 80s and the 90s, people should be used to seeing people in interracial relationships. But even now you see you see how it um, it pauses people, especially if they have kids with them. Somehow Mm -hmm. the the blending of skin tones and facial features is too much for uh, (laughs) some monoracial minds to 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 Yes. Um, so you mentioned before that your dad was fairly m- mild mannered and your mom had a little bit more um, uh, like she was ready to defend a lot a lot quicker than than maybe your father was. Um, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with the further conversation that we could get into about sort of privilege and, and things that your dad maybe never had to deal with until until he married interracially. But um, had you ever addressed had, had they ever talked about race or, or why? You, you and your brother were different from the kids that you were around? Um, so one time I remember 
my parents addressing race was I think my brother was maybe around five and he came home from school one day and he said um, someone told me black is bad so that means mom is bad oh. and it was like the tension in the house was crazy and my parents just were like I don't know how to address this situation and it also I think it didn't help that like my mom had the discipliner role in our family and it's like if you did something wrong you were in trouble with mom and it was it was only if you're in trouble with dad then you know you're like you really messed up but oh. <laughs> um but so it was like it was this weird situation where my parents are like trying to explain to a five-year-old like that's not an okay way to think about people and you don't have to listen to them you know this is your mother this is your flesh and blood mm-hmm. you know she loves you. She's not a bad person just because her skin looks different than the other people. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a pretty big concept for a five-year-old to have to grasp, but did they at least address like, or were they able to address how or why the other kid was wrong? Or do you feel that you both were kind of left with sort of a, I don't get it. And then you just have to kind of go on about your life until it happens again. And it starts to become more clear as you get older. I think they did try to explain to us, like some people, have, you know, a biased attitude and it's not for a very good reason, but it didn't really make that much sense. And it was kind of like, this is just the way things are (laughs) and hopefully they'll get better. Right. I think the especially probably I don't know if it would be more the case for a mixed race child versus a a POC child, um, a monoracial POC child, where you sort of have to bear the weight of other people's ignorance at such an early age and probably don't get a good way of understanding it until you're a lot older. And by then you already have all your other identity issues going on, too. Right. Um, And, you know, and probably the hate or ignorance that you've experienced is informed some of that identity stuff that that we may have. Did you ever feel that there were others like you besides you and your brother, other Um, other kids, other people? Yeah, when I was, uh, I think from like birth to maybe six, um, we had this neighbor across the street and they were an interracial couple with a white mom and a black dad and their kid was my age. And so we'd play together all the time. And we had like very similar skin tones and like both had the curly, crazy hair. And um, so, and I think, I never thought about this before, but maybe that's why even though like kids make friends with other kids really quickly, but I think we kind of bonded really quickly just because it was like, oh, you know, you get it. But like, we didn't understand what we were getting yet. <laughs> right. You just kind of like, this is a time I feel normal. And this is yeah. I feel different. And I don't know why. So here's something I'm just now starting to think about. And it's probably only because of how many mixed race people I'm talking to for the podcast. But I, I got at an early age that I understood that my parents were different colors. And I remember having a concept of something like, well, animals are different, not understanding the difference of like species or anything like that, but thinking like, well, like tigers are orange and striped and lions are like, you know, beige. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not weird, <laughs> you know, that my dad right. is brown and my mom is like white or pale, yellowy kind of color. Like I, I remember never thinking it was strange that my parents were different colors, only just noticing that they were. And mm-hmm. it really didn't come to my attention that I was different until uh, to other kids um, until the third grade when I had my first experience with racism, which involved a, a white girl seeing a picture of my dad being confused by it and then the next day coming home or uh, next day coming to school and saying, oh, I can't be your friend anymore because your dad is a nigger. Like she went home, Whoa. talked to her dad, her parents and were like, Charmaine has a brown dad. Explain. <laughs> and the way they chose wow. to explain was, yeah, don't hang out with that little girl. <laughs> That's um, crazy because you know a little kid could not have come up with that themselves right and so like that's also my first exposure and memory of the word nigger too like before that I while I did understand that my parents were different and I understood that people were different colors and things like that I didn't know that you could make fun of a person for being different um, mm-hmm. colored you know and so I had to ask my mom like why can't you know Sarah or Jennifer or Becky whatever <laughs> hang out with me anymore <laughs> because my dad's a nigger like explain this to me and and my mom has a lot of fight and fire in her too she's like five foot half an inch you know ready to (laughs) kill everybody and so she was ready to fight their parent that kid's parents because one it sent me into a turmoil that I didn't I didn't I hadn't had to experience before and two she's ready to fight anyone anyway so she explained to me about racial slurs and whether or not I really grasped it at that I know that that's my turning point like that's when I kind of woke up to being different than the other kids that I was around. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, yeah, so I, I'm not exactly sure kind of how it starts to really be clear that there are ways that you make fun of people for being for being different races. But I, I knew that at that point I became a lot more aware of whiteness um, in that particular school. After that, I was in a school that was almost entirely black. And so I felt a lot more comfortable because even though I wasn't brown, they seemed more like me than the white kids did. Right. You know, um, so I got a little bit more comfortable there. But it was still this thing of, well, now I'm here I am third grade and I have to deal with this huge concept that this white girl probably didn't have to deal with after she stopped hanging out with me. You know, right. like it was right. probably just the case of like, okay, do, 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 do. Now I have one less friend and I go on with my life um, while I'm sitting here going I can lose a friend because my dad is brown like <laughs> right and you're like how many others are gonna do this <laughs> right and and so I do remember like uh, I'm only thinking about it now like I remember starting to gravitate towards people of color at that point like you know that's when I pick up my you know first best friend that's like Indian or um, or uh, just sort of like I see there's a lot more brown kids on that side of the basketball court so I'm going to sit over there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, de- I did always feel normal when I was around black kids. I didn't feel normal when I was white, around white kids. And to get a chance to look at someone who who also had parents that were different colors, like most of my cousins did, mm-hmm. um, that was just, that was really normal, you know, because almost all of them had at least one brown parent and one pale parent, and it all made sense when I was with my cousins. Did you, besides your, your across-the-street friend, did you tend to gravitate towards, um, more towards white kids or more towards black kids, depending on where you were? Do you remember yeah, anything like that? Yeah, um, I remember the place, the places where I felt the most comfortable were my after school activities and so and the dance schools that I would go to in Chicago were 
black owned schools that were, you know, very much into serving the community and exposing POC to ballet and things that were more traditionally white dominated. And so I'd go to dance like four times a week and there I was surrounded by all different shades and colors. And I was like, okay, this feels better because everybody's a little bit different. And then I took a lot of violin classes and those, I I guess was mostly white and Asian, but it was still like, you know, there was some variety there. So (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, there's like, there's a little bit of everyone around here. Whereas school, I mean, I got along with people at school pretty easily, but they were all very white and very very French. So it was just like I could only it was like I could be one half of myself at school and then the other half I got to be outside of school. Right. So you picking up code switching at a young age and you don't even know why you're doing it. Right. Did So as you start to transition, I guess, into sort of preteen times, um, I mean, I'm just making the assumption off of sort of my own identity crisis time period. Was that a period of time for you where you're starting to wonder more about you racially? versus just like I'm becoming a woman now and um I think yeah because so getting into my teens and I was like taking public transportation by myself I was just like doing a lot of things independently and so that meant there was I had no buffer in public if that makes sense so anybody any stranger can just come up and talk to me and so that's really when a lot of people well I have the one side of a lot of people just come up and talk to me in Spanish because they assume I'm Latina. So then there's just like, just basic things we like. All get to <laughs> we all get to <laughs> Yeah, it'll be like someone asking me for directions, but in Spanish. And I'm like, okay, no, you're asking for directions. I do not know how to give them back to you in Spanish, but I will do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Or, um, but then, or the other side is just like, it's usually old white men who are like, well, who are you? Where are you from? And I'm like, you're a stranger and I'm just trying to go to school. Like, please leave me alone. Right. That's actually something we, you and I did talk about before because of you, your job as an editor, you get to work with a lot of older white guys and they all seem to have the exact same reaction to you. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about some of those experiences. Yeah, so I don't know what it is about like middle-aged white men that just have to keep asking me questions no matter how many social cues I give that I don't want to be talking to them about me personally. And the so yeah, most recently I had an editor on his first day, you know, he writes down my email so he can email me some uh, computer settings and just stares at it and is like, is that of Spanish descent? And I was like, oh man, this is going to be a long day. So <laughs> I'm like, nope, not at all. And just kind of like left. I was like, I don't have time for this right now. But I had to go back and talk to him and he was mm. like, so where are you from? And, you know, the dreaded question, and I always make people work for it. So I'm like, oh, I'm from Chicago. And he's like, oh, really? I was like, yep, born and raised in Chicago. (laughs) And it's just like, you see them trying to work it out in their head. They're like, that's not what I meant. How do I ask what I meant? And I'm like, I know you're trying to figure this out, but I'm not going (laughs) to help you. (laughs) Believe me, I know what you're trying to ask. (laughs) 
And then, so it was just like more and more questions of like, well, have you, like, are your parents from there? And like, uh, so eventually I'm like, my mom's from France, my dad's from upstate New York. And so it's just like, that still doesn't click. And it's like, those still sound like white places. So it's like, hmm, something's not right. And then eventually I say, oh, you know, my mom is Moroccan French, so she is darker skinned. And that's when he's like, oh, okay. So is that your natural hair? I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> I, just, I was like, I mean, some days it's frizzier, some days it's flatter. <laughs> it just depends. <laughs> um, and he's like, okay, so it's never, what's that word? Um, nappy? And I just, I've never, like, people ask about hair all the time, but I never heard someone, like, search for the word nappy. Bold, right? <laughs> like, come on. One, it's what is the obsession with, with black hair and and two, really? You're just going to ask that question? I yeah, just, just, I can't. And, you know, and I can tell that he didn't mean to be offensive. He had no idea he was being offensive. And it's like, you know, there's that part of you that's like, well, I need to break the cycle. I need to explain to him now why this is not OK. But then there's also like the side that's like, why should I have to educate every single person I come across on why right. this is OK? Yeah. And this is the big thing that we're trying to figure out all the time. Right. Like you do. Like you said, you want to break the cycle and and take the moment. But it's exhausting having to educate every single person you encounter out of their ignorance you, you know you, right. you almost want to just be able to go no that's racist why don't you do a little research and come back to me later on and have a you know, like, right. like once Here's you a learn. reading list please come back <laughs> we'll discuss. oh gosh just you saying that gave me an idea of like making little laminated cards about like here's how you <laughs> here's how you break your racist cycle read these things <laughs> Like once you've completed these steps, I will send you part two. <laughs> right. And we'll come back. We'll have a couple of quarterly discussions. But <laughs> um, Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like This is the thing I've been trying to deal with, too. What's my responsibility for education? It seems like it's not my responsibility at all. But at the same time, it seems like, well, but if I don't do it and here's a teachable moment, how are they going to get out of this? Right. And then there's just same, some days where like, I can't. Like, I, I don't have the capacity to deal with somebody else's ignorance today because I have my own stuff going on. You know, like right. my mind is just not prepared for this. It's so frustrating that this is a I mean, I think it's a thing that all people of color or anybody that would be considered in a, you know, sort of minority group, you know, LGBT people, w women, blah, 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 all this, all the stuff like these are these teachable moments. And it ends up falling to our responsibility. Never seems to fall on them to know they're about to say something ridiculous. Um, I don't know why it seems I also I guess I don't know why we give them a pass on them not knowing right it's like it's not that hard to be empathetic why do I have to teach you this right and just because let's say this white guy doesn't have nappy hair he should probably know that he, since he had to search for the word in his mind <laughs> that there were probably scenarios in which he heard the term and it didn't come off well so, 
So right. why would he have chosen that word? You know, um, I think our language also kind of gears us towards to giving them a pass a lot of times. Like, oh, well, they may not have been exposed to someone like me. And so they didn't know any better. But at the same time, you want to say they do. Or right. at least like they you should. Knew, you knew the word. So you had to have some sort of context. Right. Like, so give me any scenario in which the word nappy was used and everybody was like, yes, you know, <laughs> it's a totally positive word that we love. <laughs> oh, God, it's so frustrating. Yeah, I remember you when we talked about that story before and it didn't get any easier to hear it the second time. <laughs> like, I felt just as much anger hearing it the second time. One, just knowing that you had to experience it in the workplace, you know, or if you had to experience it at all, it's shitty. But in the workplace, you don't want to have to be mixed at work, you know, like, right. Uh, I, right. I, 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 I've been kind of talking about the concept of sort of coming out as mixed um, <laughs> and, you know, like because it inevitably ends up being a thing. Right. Um, regardless of whether or not you're the type of person like me that tends to be very vocal, like the second you meet me, like, hi, I'm Charmaine, I'm mixed um, versus someone that is maybe more reserved about it and is just trying to live their life without having to be a poster child. Basically, um, you you just want to get through your day without your you being othered or someone mm-hmm. letting you know, hey, in case you didn't realize this, I can tell you're different. And, yeah. and I'm the standard, so I get to call you different. Um, so I do try to, like, flip it on them and be like, oh, you're, you know, you're different. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you blonde? What is that? What is that? Iceland? Where are you from? You know, like uh, you almost want to do kind of mirror their things until they become so uncomfortable uh, about why they feel entitled to ask these questions or um, or pet us because for some reason they they oh, love the to, petting. To, it doesn't can't. matter if it's your hair or even your skin. It's like they want to see if something different is going to happen if they touch. Yeah, you. it's like, are you really a human just like me? And it's like. Right. Yes, God damn it. <laughs> right. The petting, I just fucking don't understand. And I'm a person who thinks that you should be considerate of animal lives as much as you should be as human lives, understanding that there are some differences because of, uh, you know, abilities and intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But like, I'm not the kind of person that would be like, it's, it's fine to be cruel to an animal and not be cruel and it's not fine to be cruel to a human. I'm not one of those people. But this is the one area in which I'm like, I'm not an animal. Don't pet me. Like, right, right. <laughs> um, it's really frustrating that it, this happens so frequently because I'm also not a person that likes to be touched by people yeah, I, I, I don't know do, very well. I do not like to be touched. Even people I know well, like it's very rare that I enjoy being touched by them. same same yeah so i th- i i equate that to having a british grandmother and a japanese grandmother these are two women that were a big influence in the early part of my lives and they weren't from cultures that were very touchy-feely and so i was always aware that touching was strange my japanese grandma to this day will literally cringe when you go to hug her <laughs> and she does she can't help it it's her natural reaction um and so sometimes she'll be like okay i love you too and she'll like pat you really hard like really hard hard-handed pats um, because that's her own way of trying to deal with the fact that like let's get this touching thing over like I know you're my little American grandchild and I have to 
deal with that. But like, <laughs> let's get this out of the way. Whereas like my British grandmother would uh, sort of place herself prominently in the room and, and the children came to her, you know, <laughs> and she, you know, bestowed upon us uh, this like British affection, which was either like, you can hug me and I'm not going to res- be very responsive or I'll give you a pet or something like that. And then you go on about your day. So like, I didn't grow up where a physical affection was a big part of my life. And so it takes me a while to get to that place with people that I actually like and, and care about. And once I do get there, I do become very affectionate, but it can take years in some cases for me to get there. And I know that I sometimes have to perform affection to people that are, or physical affection to people that are newer in my life, just because that's like the social norm, but it makes me very uncomfortable. So when a random person who doesn't know me very well decides that they need to see if my brownish yellow skin feels different than white skin <laughs> or if my hair um, is different, which yeah. oddly enough, the most recent time my hair was petted was by a, a transracial Korean born raised white person. So she was part of the big thing in the late 70s, early 80s, where like a lot of white families in America were going to Korea and bringing home Korean babies. Right. So she's Korean, but she has no exposure to her Korean life. So she grew up like a white kid in Tennessee and has basically she's until someone reminds her she's Korean, she thinks of herself as white. And she asked me if she could touch my hair. And I was so stunned by the question coming from an Asian face that I froze and said, I like said yes, which I would never say yes. (laughs) Normally. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then she touched my hair and she goes, oh, it's not, it's not like mixed hair at all. And I was (laughs) like, no, uh, uh," you know, it was such an uncomfortable thing. And I basically felt like I, I felt so othered in a way that was way creepier than um, I ever expected it to be probably because it was an Asian face that was looking at me yeah. when they said these very white words. Um, and I like I had a little crying game shower later on where I was just like, you know, <laughs> why does she need to touch me like that? It, it makes me so uncomfortable. But it's also not hair. It's also like sometimes you're just in a store and you're standing in front of something and a white person puts both their hands on you to shift you versus saying, yes, excuse me. And I do not understand. I have been manhandled by so many white men, like because I was physically in their way. And instead of saying, oh, excuse me, I'm trying to pass through here, like grab my shoulders and shove me to the side. And I was really? like, why? Why has this happened to me multiple times? And I'm not a very little person, so it's not like it's easy to do. Yeah. I was like, why is this happening? I wonder if they do it because you're so tall. Yeah, maybe it's. But so it's I like, don't. Would it I don't be get that it hard? Men, I get it with white ladies. Mm. I wonder if that is because you're tall. Because you're how tall are you? I'm five nine, which yeah. in LA is very tall, but in yeah, the Midwest you're... is not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I. I mean, I'm jealous of the height. I'm, I. I definitely have like short man's complex um, for being five four. <laughs> Even though I'm the tallest woman in my family, I'm still like. Like, me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is weird. You get manhandled by men. Yeah. Why? I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, I'll just turn around and be like, excuse you. And they just like, they're walking away. They don't care. I'm like, yeah, All right. it's like, and probably later on, they're like, can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Other, whatever they want to call you. girl was in my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we all get Latin and maybe it's just because, uh, you know, Latinx people can range from very, very pale to very, very dark and they all are still Latin. Um, but even I mean, even 
just like the burrito place around the corner. They, they've seen me constantly at least once or twice a week for the last two years because I go there all the time when I'm lazy and they all try to speak Spanish to me. And yeah. I always answer back in English because I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I can probably say some of the things like, you know, thank you and right. yes, but I, you know, I, I don't know what it is about me because I don't even actually in, think my face looks very Latin. Um, uh, but I get it a lot, especially on the East Coast. I get Dominican or Puerto Rican a lot. Yeah, those are the ones I get there too. Yeah. And it's funny, even just last night, so I, because I just moved and I'm trying to get rid of some old furniture and I posted like on Facebook Marketplace and this woman, rep- like the post is in English and she replies in Spanish. Yeah, um, that's happening to like, me right now too. <laughs> is, it, is it still available? And I was like, wow, like there's just a small picture of my face, which because I was using my phone. So I'm like, if you're on your phone, you can barely even see what my face looks like. And so I'm like, she's just already assumed. <laughs> and then it's weird though, because it bothers me that people make assumptions. It doesn't necessarily bother me that it's in Spanish because mm-hmm. I'll be like, you know, I, I would like to speak better Spanish. So I'm like, this is a cool opportunity for me. But it is it does bother. It's the assumption part that bothers me. Right. Like, well, that's the thing that we deal with partic- probably stronger um, as mixed race people than any POC monoracial person. It's visibility, uh, not just like visibility in the representation matters ways, but like I identify as this. I need you to see me as this, but the only way for you to see me as this means I have to tell you what this is. Right. I have to go and explain it. Yeah. And so I don't know how often it would happen in your case that a monoracial person would look at you and say, oh, you must be biracial. And those two things must be black, a version of black and white. Um, But like in my case, uh, no one ever knows what to, you know, I'm kind of Mm -hmm. vaguely Asian. So you must be Filipino because those are the mixed people. Right. Of Asians, right. <laughs> you know, and then you have to explain, not really, but okay. And then, um, and then, or you're Mexican. Well, especially when I used to have a perm and I grew up down here in Southern California, I, I guess I could understand more than why people thought I was Mexican because I did the crunchy curly hair thing of the, the late 80s, early 90s with the, the bangs that like flipped. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I get it then, but now when it happens, it always shocks me because I don't, in my face, I don't detect anything that looks um, Latin or Asian kind of like sort of kind of Asian but when I look at me even though I'm pale I I see a black woman because I grew up mostly around black people and I am you know my father is black and I I just that's just how I see myself I just I'm just a little on the light side you know Um, even though I understand that I'm not the like the stereotypical mixed black look like I get it but at the same time I still would prefer to be seen if I'm going to be mistaken as anything I would prefer to be mistaken as, as black full black yeah. than than anything else um, I wonder yeah. if the Facebook thing if it doesn't matter that it's because we are ambiguously look, looking because I've been getting that too I have a couple things I'm trying to sell uh, like uh, audio equipment I'm not using anymore and I have almost exclusively gotten <laughs> Spanish right off the get and I'm responding in English and then they're responding in Spanish right and so there's, there's also the like Translate. <laughs> yeah, there's that funny thing of where even though you tell them like, hey, I'm not Latina in any way. And they'll be like, haha, don't believe you. You're just too lazy to speak your native tongue. And I'm like, right. no, I swear to or you. Or you have no pride. Right. Like, I'm like, I'm not trying to betray the people. They're just not my people. 
<laughs> I used to get a lot of the times it was like, okay, so you're not Mexican, but aren't you proud that you look like us? And I'd be like, but why? Like, how? I don't understand how to grasp that kind of question. Like, how am I supposed to be proud of something that I haven't, the only exposure I have is hanging out with you, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm not Mexican. Yeah, that's a very strange thing. I don't, I don't understand. Do you feel, so this is kind of a question I'm, I'm sort of asking everyone. Do you feel grounded in your racial identity? Like, do you still from time to time feel like you need to question or you need to be validated? Or are you just like, I'm me, this is what I am, totally comfortable, but just, I wish white people would stop petting me. Yeah, I definitely feel pretty grounded now. I think college was kind of like an identity crisis because so many people would ask like how do you identify and they it was like kind of just a general for everyone like what's your race what's your sexuality what's your nationality it's like all these things that I never thought too deeply about that I was like why do I have to identify as something and um but now I'm very comfortable and like you know this is what I am this is what I've always been and if other people don't get that then I really don't care Mm -hmm. so you don't get sent into like an identity spiral regularly now as an adult yeah I think you know growing up sometimes I kind of would like I didn't necessarily fit in I like never passed as just wakes white people are always like let me touch your hair where are you from why are you so exotic and then I never really pass as black just purely because I'm so much lighter skinned mm-hmm. I will say that black people either like they, they wouldn't ask so much like oh like why do you look different it was not really like a concern of theirs mm-hmm. and most often it's a black person that correctly guesses that I'm biracial right. and what I'm mixed with right do you feel more welcomed by black people than it, it, like random black people than you would by random white people definitely it's like they I feel like random black people it's like they they don't really have an issue with the fact that I'm like hmm unpicked like ambiguous and then and it's kind of like if they do learn that I'm half black they'll be like hey you're one of us like cool yeah whereas like white people it's like hey you're not one of us but cool (laughs) right so this is my my big thing too it's like technically if you add everything up I'm technically half white because both of my parents were half white but Mm -hmm. I identify more on the black and Japanese sides um because culturally those were the things I was exposed to growing up but also not necessarily on the Japanese side but on the black side you're just family like I like I see you just by looking at you I can tell that you're at least part black and here especially here in the states we have a cultural understanding that if any of us black folks look kind of vaguely white it's because of um colonialism or you know some kind of trauma like yeah history and things (laughs) like that and so we're just like yeah you're just one of us we get it um where I would never be accidentally accused of being white or the fact that I'm more white technically than anything else would never make me more white. I mean, even black people wouldn't be like, oh, you're white. You know, they wouldn't. They're just going to be like, you're one of us. I mean, we're definitely as a culture, we're definitely accepting of of the one drop rule that, you know, popped up during Jim Crow and everything. Uh, It is a strange thing to feel seen or accepted by one of the groups that I have the least amount, um, you know, technically the least amount. But yet I am more that than than white, even though technically white. The um, so we are coming kind 
gosh, these hours go by a lot faster because I could just sit here and do it all day. What I did want to talk a little bit about before we wrap up about you dancing. I know you kind of referenced it a little bit earlier and then we went off, we went on to different things, but you are actually trained in sort of more classical dance styles, right? Uh, and that's not necessarily stereotypically something that you see a lot of people of color do, or at least you hadn't until recently. You're starting to see it more and more. What was dance like for you growing up? I know you said your school was a little diverse. Um, and what is it like for you sort of now as you're an adult? Um, so, yeah, I, I trained in ballet and modern and jazz and um, mostly went to two different dance schools growing up and they were both black owned. And so they it was kind of like my intro to being woke, I guess, was they <laughs> did make a point to be like, I know that you don't see black ballerinas in the world, but I want to make sure that you know that that's an option. And um, oh, that's awesome. The I was just talking to someone about this the other day, but we so for our ballet performances, the standard for a ballet uniform is kind of like these like pink tights and a leotard. And the thing is, like, it's the pink matches like a very pale person's skin tone very well. And so it's supposed to kind of just look flesh colored. And so they made a point to be like for our performances, like, don't wear pink tights because there's only like two people in this room that actually like that would match the pink. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, I want you guys to have flesh tone colored tights. And they made a good effort of showing us like different stores that had tights that came in different shades. And so Mm -hmm. it's like you had like um, more of like a chocolate brown or you know like a tan so I thought that was cool that they they were like hey you guys are all a little bit different so you need to get different colored tights like yeah um, and then the cool thing about uh one of the schools I went to we did I was in this like junior dance company and we did a lot of um performances at high schools and I remember this one performance it was like mostly jazz choreography and so we had this one show and this one girl she starts the routine and she's like swinging her hips and it was it was uh I'd say I think it was like a mostly black school and you just hear someone yell from the audience like okay white girl and it was just like (laughs) funny to be like hey like white people can dance too but also to like so it was like a weird thing of like white people can do jazz and hip-hop and black people can do ballet like we can all just be dancers (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty funny (laughs) it's it's kind of weird though that they singled out the white girl during that thing (laughs) (laughs) instead instead of hearing like go ahead black ballerina or something (laughs) Uh, I I grew up in dance too, but it was attended almost always easy. Uh, was easier to fall into into hip hop because of where I was growing up, but I, I did take modern. Um, and uh, but the thing was, the teachers were always white. Like even though we lived in in you know the hood or whatever, the uh, the teachers were always white, and it was like it was almost like it was a public service <laughs> to like come out and teach you know classical forms of dance to, the, to these little yeah. brown kids or whatever. Um, I, like, I, I was really assigned to you, community service. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Like, I love that you had the different experience. And I hope that that was a very encouraging thing for you as you were going up. Because that, uh, I mean, that would just be one of those things. I remember the first time um, I saw uh, the, the Alvin Ailey troupe. We got to go to a, like, a special showcase just for, like, school age kids during the day. Oh, that's and nice. it was the first time I saw black dancers not doing hip hop. Right. And it was just, 
I mean, it was oh, it was so beautiful. Like I'm even now just thinking about it. Like I was 14 years old, and that like to think that, that I got to be I got that old uh, before I got to see black people perform uh, these other styles and and how amazing it looked and and pretty much thinking that that was the path I was going to take. I ended up going into a Latin ballroom when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and then I got hurt and stopped dancing altogether. But I still even now am far more moved by seeing a person of color in classical dance styles than I am in seeing mm-hmm. white people do it. Um, again, just another thing of like, somehow it seems a little bit vi- like more visible. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. <sighs> this experience has been insane. I, I don't know how to describe it. I know that when I got into it, I, you know, I just wanted to talk about race a bunch. I didn't expect some of the experiences, you know, I mean, it's even taught me that about my sort of expectations of what it was to be of what it is to be mixed and just kind of thinking people had it very similar to me and finding out how different people are um has been just crazy like I can it's really hard to end these conversations every time (laughs) yeah it's like it's so cool to compare and contrast (laughs) all of our experiences because it's it's not something I get to talk about very often right like I, I think of these times on and off throughout my life where I was able to sort of like just swim in my mixedness with somebody um, or to be to be sort of even used as a mixed person to help like I have a friend who had um, a, a Caucasian gay couple who had adopted a mixed race child and um, and they when she was like three they said you know she's not going to be exposed we don't have that many people in our lives that mm-hmm. look like her um, you know so however much you want to come around would be awesome because we want her to feel comfortable in um you know in her difference because even for the brother that she has that was adopted he was a different race from her too so she was always going to kind of be different she you know had curly hair yeah. and everything like that so i i got to kind of you know get a chance to sort of sit with a kid and be like you know you are beautiful and you are different looking from your parents but you know it doesn't matter you're going to be awesome you know things like that yeah um, and if that's amazing really, like time for time you get these small little things you know i only did it for a little bit a little while but it felt good knowing that uh i I was seen as a mixed person and sort of thought of like we don't want to mess this up with her yeah (laughs) can you help like we don't want to like can you help us that that kind of stuff is good but then these conversations is the same thing uh we commiserate on the thing like being petted by white people or the you know having to address things all the time having to be educators even when we don't feel like it and it, it feels good to know that there's other people out there that sort of under understand our plight um but then you know like then then there's the differences like your mom always being accused of being your babysitter and me not having that experience it's just like oh my gosh i didn't i didn't even know this was really a thing i i kind of had hints of it but i'm mm-hmm. that's actually far more common in the people that i'm talking to than i ever imagined and so it's yeah. nice to get this exposure to- yeah nice to see how you know people are people and that's we kind of all go through the same things <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's awesome um well why don't we tell everybody how to find you so because you are an editor and you do have your website and everything like that um if people wanted to connect or if they feel like they wanted to connect based off of your story how would they find you social media so if you go to coralieclanch.com should i spell it out yeah <laughs> <laughs> c-o-r-a-l-i-e c-l-o-n-c 
com. just my name. Um, Got to get my brand out there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you, there's like a contact page and you can contact for whatever. And then there's links to social media on the website. And also there's a video where you can watch Corley dance. Yes, there will be more videos soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I clicked on it and I started watching it. And I was like, hey, that's her. <laughs> I was just thinking it was like showcasing your editing. <laughs> so that's cool. Thank you for participating on this. And I hope that we get to talk again about other things as they come up. Yes, this is a great idea and I'm so excited to hear all the other episodes. <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.